listening to Ouija Broads. This is Devin. This is Liz. Well, hey, Liz, it's so good to talk to you after last week's recording fiasco. <laughs> we just have to have intermittent fiascos. Fiascos! I don't know which is my least favorite, honestly. I shouldn't introduce anything that way. But mm-hmm. the concept that sometimes it will just not work at all. Yeah. But it's pretty infuriating when it works sometimes <laughs> and then stops. Yeah. Because you're like, I've had my hands in my lap this whole time. Mm-hmm. I touched nothing on this computer. Yep. Nothing with this microphone. Yep. None of this. None of this. Just the vibes went off. Yep. Mercury stopped being retrograde yeah. and we're not allowed to record anymore. Yeah. Even though we were just recording. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. My charge or my quartz crystal only holds its charge for about 30 days for an entire yeah. lunar cycle. And I must have been at the end of it because that was wiggy <laughs> last week. It was over. Well, this week before we get into the episode, I think we have some patrons to thank. We do. I'd like to thank Whitney for upgrading your pledge. <gasps> Thanks, like Whitney. Welcome Mindy as a new patron. Welcome Hi, Samantha. Mindy. Hi, Samantha. And Mark, thank you for upgrading your pledge oh, as well. Thanks, this Mark. This has been very good. Uh, the transcription thing is coming together. It's just very hard to find enough time to manage everything. Oh, yeah. I think we're going to be doing some stuff you'll be excited about with your patron dollars. Yes. So thank you all our new patrons and existing patrons or former patrons. We always appreciate you very much. We really do. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, are you ready for an episode, my friend? I try to be. I'll try so hard. This is an episode that is definitely about the die weird part of our tagline. So okay. fair warning to listeners, I'm not going to be graphic, but I am going to talk about funerary practices and traditionally some funerary practices that are suddenly new again. We think of them as new, even though they are one of them, at least as, as old as bodies have been dying. But I realize that that's not a topic that everyone wants to listen to. So you have been so warned. So it's not about, like, horrific death, no. but it's just about dead bodies. Just about dead bodies. It's just about what okay. Americans in particular have done for the last 150 years with their dead and how that is changing, specifically here in the Pacific Northwest, in this and the coming years. Well, that's fun, because that was an element of an earlier story you did way, way back oh. about the the guy who did the embalming. It was that... Pioneer in Seattle. So smart, because that's what I was going to do. Before I get into the new funerary practices, I was going to take us back to our Second Lives of Seattle Mortuaries episode for just a quick history lesson. In that episode, we talked about weird Washington death stuff with Edgar Ray Butterworth, who was the man who coined the term mortuary and mortician. And he himself was a transplant from the Midwest. I think it was, I think it was Missouri and then Kentucky. Maybe it was just Kentucky. But anyway, it's been a long time. You should go back and listen to that episode because I thought it was pretty cool. But the upshot is that in 1881, he moved to Washington State. He started making coffins and he finally took over a mortuary in Seattle, renaming it to E.R. Butterworth and Sons. Excellent. What was special about this mortuary, well, there were two things. The first is that it was called, quote, the city's first place 
for comprehensive death-related services from corpse retrieval to coffin sales. I remember, because you told me it was like a department store <laughs> It almost. was like a huge department store. It, had, it was like Costco. Oh my goodness, it was the Ikea of death. It absolutely <laughs> had everything you needed from the waiting room to the, the funeral parlor to the mortuary in the basement where they did all the stuff to the coffin showroom, I beg your pardon. And, you know, they would go out and get the body for you and then also take it to the graveyard for you. So you had to do nothing. It used to be before this, before what was called the funeral industrial complex, great aunt Mildred died Mm -hmm. at home, surrounded by her loved ones, hopefully. And you put her on ice for 24 hours, maybe 48, gave everyone a chance to come see her. And then you put her four to six feet in the ground in a pine coffin in the churchyard or the family cemetery out back. Right, because laying out the body was like a traditional skill and a thing especially women were expected to be able to do. Yes. Isn't that fascinating to think that we, I mean, let's not talk about the emotional and physical labor women already do today that goes largely unseen. But think about, I wouldn't know what to do. You have to, you have to, to lay you out, to learn. you do have to learn and you have to lay out a dead body in a certain way, in a certain time frame, so that you can mm-hmm. still wash them around rigor mortis. And then, you know, there's stuff to do with the eyelids in a certain time frame. And oh my goodness, when I was reaching this, researching this episode, there was a lot more about dead bodies than I even knew I didn't know. Wow. My goodness. But when We say that he's the first place for comprehensive death-related services. He's famous for that. He's also famous because the Butterworths were one of the early adopters of the embalming techniques that now distinguish American funerals and funerary tradition from those more common in Western Europe and certainly those that were common in America before the Civil War. Before the Civil War, it was that, like I said, the very familial, very close very natural um, uh-huh. death and burial process. But with the start of this uh, industrialization of the country and the globalization, really, of our planet, we start having people die further and further from home, and their loved ones still want that that death picture of them in their minds. They still want that uh-huh. image of them as though they were just asleep. And so we start embalming so that these bodies can travel greater distances and stay presentable longer. Right. And culturally, we have not always been as comfortable with cremation as we are now. So correct. The idea that you could transport somebody, but not in their full fragile mortal body form probably was not very popular. Not at all. That Cremation was introduced in the early 1900s, I believe, as as an American idea, but it did not gain any kind of popularity or acceptance until like the 1970s and 80s. That's wild. What kicked off my research for this episode is a headline I read that said, the first ever human composting site will open in 2021 in Seattle. Wow. Human composting is 
honestly pretty similar to what would have happened pre-150 years ago. It is considered a natural burial, meaning all of the atoms and minerals and bits that make up your body return to the earth and get processed by nature in a very natural decay cycle. The composting part, though, is incredibly modern because this is specific and directed. So it's human composting is a very modern reinterpretation of what is called a natural burial, which is the style of burial that was happening across America 150 years ago. It's where Mm -hmm. the vitamins, the minerals, the nutrients, the atoms that make up a body are returned to the earth in a very, I mean, I can't keep using this word natural, but I'm going to in a very natural way. You know, it's it's the way all things decay. And in an unsupervised way, it sounds like. This is quite managed. It is human composting is quite supervised, but we'll get to that. We'll talk about the progression from traditional burial, which is what the last 150 years of burials, which involve a lot of formaldehyde and unnatural processes and intense, intense burial um, chambers, I guess, are, mm-hmm. are called to this kind of 360, this this back to the beginning of a much more natural process. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. So you're, I mean, you're a gardener. What do you think of the idea of human composting already? Is that squicking you out or? I don't compost meat. So (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I guess I haven't started a compost bin yet, but I have been told don't put any protein in it or that's how you get rats. Yeah, that's don't put protein in it. You can't put bones or anything like that. We do have a little bit of a life cycle going on with the chickens and the chicken poop and Mm -hmm. everything. Their favorite is when I have to go put in a garden bed or something and I want the compost from the bottom and then I open up the whole thing and they all come over and they're like, ha 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 ha, trash and worms. (laughs) This is the best, best day ever. But when I think of human composting, my guess, because of what you've been saying about it being more supervised, is that if I'm 150 years ago and Mm -hmm. we put a body in the ground... Mm -hmm. I'm no longer hands-on with the situation, right? Like, as long as nothing egregious is happening in terms of, you know, they're too close to the creek and they're getting flooded out or something, I'm not going to go check in. Right. I mean, I will check in to connect with that physical space. Right. But I'm not, like, monitoring the decomposition process. Whereas, I'm going to guess with composting, there's some more intentionality and maybe people making sure, I don't know, do they turn you? Do they sprinkle (laughs) stuff on you? There's so many options (laughs) here. so many options options for composting, but you're exactly right. You know, that that natural burial process is, okay, you're in a designated place for the body to live, and the idea is not necessarily that you'll fertilize, you know, which is what we do with mm-hmm. compost, but at least all the pieces that are your physical form are going to go back to the earth. They Well, give or take, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes people counted on it not happening and mm-hmm. that there'd be something left there. You have to have some handful of, du- of, of dust, mm-hmm. some handful of dust they can resurrect you from. I guess that is the biblical 
Yeah. Uh, promise or interpretation, I guess. I don't mean that in like a, I just don't know the Bible. But that's yeah, the no, thing that they, you know, the, um, the dust to dust part, right? <laughs> yeah, it's actually from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. The promise not just of living again, but a specifically resurrection of the body. And mm. so that's directed the different ways that people interpret that and the different, I guess, limits that they put on God's superpowers <laughs> it lead to different interpretations. So again, you know, we know I'm formerly Catholic. I'm not practicing as a Catholic, but a lot of Catholics still culturally will not cremate because yeah. it was taught. It was part of the catechism. It was part of the rules for a long time that that was, I don't know. I feel like I'm being so flip about this. Like it's making it too hard for God. Uh, or okay. it's desecrating the body in a way that you shouldn't because at this yeah. point that body is meant to be left alone. Now, Catholics have shifted where they're like, if that's what makes the most sense, you should do that. And again, I'm, you know, I can't speak for a billion people. Right. I'm saying, you know, contemporary American Catholics whose commentary I've encountered on this yeah. uh, is that if that's the right choice, you can, but they actually push back a little and they say, if you still need to say goodbye to this body that your loved one was in, don't feel like you have to rush them away and oh, make cool. that body go away. Oh. Like, you may need to actually go through, you know, very into ritual, very into yeah. <laughs> the formal things you do at a time. And they're like, part of what you kind of need to do at this time is look at this situation. If it's look at a bowl and understand that this isn't this person anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that makes a ton of sense to me, although it's not always the easiest thing. And it's not always feasible. And maybe for some people, it's not a necessary part of the process. But I right. think anytime we're balancing technology, culture, death, vulnerability, religion, science, politics, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff, I think there can be a tendency to want to make it very tidy, right? Like we medicalize everything. We do. And I think that there's a tendency to medicalize death, not in the, you know, treat you very aggressively as you're dying thing, which is a separate issue. But the idea that we're going to like put doctors in charge of what happens to your body after you die, maybe we'll do an autopsy. We're going to take these organs out, which again, huge support for organ donation. Everybody please donate organs. But It's like we sort of just go, okay, it has to be all sterile. It Mm -hmm. has to be all, like, I'm not going to see a single hint that that this body is not restoring itself anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to face that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need that. Sometimes you don't. I had a lot of thoughts about that. You do have a lot. Well, and I I mean, dude, I want to hear them all. I I think it's, I think that everybody should go to YouTube and listen to Ask a Mortician. Her name is Caitlin Dowdy. She is um, a huge resource for this episode and just a personal, you know, I'm fangirling out about her a little bit all the time (laughs) because I think she's so real about death and the industrial complex and what she and like-minded individuals are trying to do to um, not change it necessarily, but to offer an alternative if you don't want the traditional burial and everything it comes with which the the big thing that traditional burials come with is huge cost financially and huge cost to our environment 
I think I've seen a post from her on Tumblr okay. or something about, hey, you should know your rights yes. when somebody dies and yes. you're the next of kin. Like, they can't charge you for this. Yep. They cannot tell you you have to do this. You have yep. a right to this, yep. you know? All that kind of stuff where, you know, you're, you've obviously been thrown for a complete loop. Yep. You're just trying to do what you have to do. You're not in the mood to be sitting there researching stuff. And somebody who does this all day every day is like, oh, well, you need to buy this coffin and you need to pay for us to do this to right. the body and you need to blah, 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 right. blah. Right. She yeah, is back the train up. so good at telling you what your rights are and telling you what the legalities are. Apparently, mm-hmm. um, you know, I got this from, from Caitlin's uh, Green Burial episode, which is about two years old now, but the, she says, never, ever let someone in the funeral industry tell you that you must embalm a body. There is no federal law that says a body must be embalmed. Some funeral homes require it and they, Mm -hmm. you know, they can, you can go to a different funeral home and some cemeteries will require it. Because That's they can. Mm-hmm. What's, what's yeah. their stake in yeah. that? Um, I think they presumably get a kickback from I think you're probably right. a funeral home, is my thought. Wake up, America. Wake up, America. You should, we'll, we'll get onto the more, more and more green aspects here. I know I keep saying that. I'm not kicking that can down the road. But I, I really want us to understand that the traditional burial model, so the last 150 years, is a... It's, it's a, it's a money making complex. And, and yes, like you said, it can be so important for people to see their preserved loved one to go, okay, I get it. They are not there anymore. That is just the vessel. But you even have options for that kind of connection with Mm -hmm. green and non-invasive burial types. But absolutely. Right. um, Yeah. It's making me think more and more of it's about 50% marriage and 50% having a baby. Mm where you're mm-hmm. like, I didn't know I I had to have an option. Like, I can't yeah. just have blue as my wedding color. I have to pick another wedding I, color. Yeah. I have to pick so many colors. I have yeah. to pick chargers. What are chargers? They're plates yeah. for your plates. It's a plate for your plate. They're, I don't understand. I have to have a – I'm supposed to have a centerpiece. Like, yeah. And it just wears you down. Oh, totally. It just wears you down. Oh, totally. And so you go in thinking, like, I'm not going to give a shit about any of this. Mm-hmm. And you just cannot withstand the barrage. And I'm sure yeah. it's 10,000 times worse when you're grieving. Oh, it has to be. I mean, I have not – I think – well, I know the most recent person that I lost was my grandmother who died in October. Mm-hmm. And that was the last grandparent I had, you know, the, or the last biological grandparent I had. Her husband, my step-grandpa, is still alive. But that was a shock to me as a grandchild who's 2,000 miles away. I can't imagine what her husband had to go through in the moment. And the average American funeral costs nine to eleven thousand dollars. That's ludicrous. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I don't want to put down anybody who's working in that industry because I know ninety-nine percent of the people in any industry are not the ones making oh, yeah. that money. They're Absolutely not less than they deserve. But wow, that's a lot of money. Nine to eleven thousand dollars. People regularly go into debt on funerals. And so not only is it so, so cost prohibitive. The formaldehyde in embalming fluid is in the EPA's top 10% of most hazardous chemicals. It's carcinogenic, and it's so toxic to use that when morticians are embalming a body, they're in a full hazmat suit. 
to replace the liquid in your body with this formaldehyde. That's shocking. I would have assumed that would be to protect them from, you know, off-gassing and contagion and stuff. But no, it's because the stuff they're putting into the dead body is so toxic. It's so toxic. mm, And see, this is where I start going like, no, okay, now we're risking living bodies to make a dead body prettier. We've lost the plot. We've lost the plot, Liz. We're using 800,000 gallons of formaldehyde a year to make dead bodies pretty, putting live bodies at risk. We are losing. What does it do when you put a formaldehyde body in the ground? Where does it go? Well, (laughs) it depends. The modern casket is designed such that hopefully it goes nowhere, but of course nothing is fail proof. You put formaldehyde in a body, and the body in a casket. Uh, by the way, 4 million acres of forests a year are used to create caskets. You put that preserved body in a casket, and over time, that body is going to do what bodies do. No matter how much formaldehyde you put in it, it will decay. And so you become soup, and yeah. those caskets are lined with rubber gaskets, which are supposed to prevent any moisture getting in, any moisture getting out. It is, like I said, not foolproof, especially if you live near a fault line. Yeah. What modern graves are now not just holes in the ground. They're holes in the ground that are lined with a burial vault or a grave liner. And these are made in tons of concrete. And what... Okay. (laughs) Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, why? What, What does this add? The grave liner does one incidental thing and one main thing. The incidental thing is that the hole being lined with concrete makes it so that there's one more layer between anything that would get out of the casket and our groundwater. Okay. The real reason that they require grave liners in cemeteries is because without a grave liner, the ground sinks and it's hard for the grounds crew to mow over uneven ground. Wow. I am not kidding. That's the main reason. So that's why older graves will be more sunken. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's really something. There you go, dude. But it's not about trying to keep out, trying to preserve the body more. Because that's what I hear when I hear these like, rubber gasket sealed caskets mm-hmm. and coffins mm-hmm. i'm like that's what is i just feel like if i had to pick and i felt like i was gonna care mm-hmm. i would rather be just sort of turning into dirt yeah even if it was a somewhat soupy process yeah than being soup in a box yeah soup in a can you you're, yeah your campbell's cannon just hanging out yeah. there, getting all grody. The uh, in one of the readings I did for this article, the the land around modern graveyards is some of the most contaminated land there is because of all oh the stuff God, right? leaching out of the process. Just in general, where which is the exact opposite of what putting a dead thing in the ground should do. Yeah, yeah, that's supposed to make it better. It's supposed to break things down and feed little microbacterias and feed little funguses and be returned to we're the earth. We're not pushing up daisies at all. We're not pushing, not unless they're like from the mutant ninja turtles, you know, <laughs> secret of the ooze here, where you've got these 
giant <laughs> dandelions being grown, and then the nevish little reporter goes and breaks one off, and he's like, "Oh, excellent! I can earn April's love by showing her this." And the dandelions like, <laughs> just like that. Nice. Well, so it sounds like you want perhaps a greener alternative to contaminating the land and having your family spend a whole lot of money. Yes. Save some green, save some green. This oh is what God. I'm trying to I do love here. You. The title of this episode, by the way, is The Lean Green Dying Machine. I'm so, a fan. I I'm thought you would be. I thought you would be. Well, it used to be the greener alternative was cremation. And cremation, unfortunately, is is probably a little bit greener, but it's not as green as we would like to think. It, it does mm-hmm. absolutely cut back on resources if it's not if the body is not embalmed first and if the body is not cremated in a box so it's just a shroud it costs substantially less the average american cremation is like between 1 and 2000 dollars that still feels like a lot of money I but so i guess much money. I mean, it's it's not the thing to go with the lowest bidder on, necessarily. No, no, not at all. You kind of don't want to skimp on that or, like, the guy who does your plastic surgery or, you know. Yeah, sushi. Right, yeah. Anything yeah. touching my face or going inside me, I'm going to pay top dollar for. Fugu chef. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> the act of cremation, unfortunately, releases a ton of smoke. And I mean, that's uh, the whole thing. That's the whole thing, right? Right? Well, and in that smoke, buddy, there is carbon dioxide, there's hydrochloric acid, there's carcinogens, there's uh, mercury in particular if the person has fillings. fillings. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the – so there's been two. One was in Florida and one you told me about up here where there were, they both happened to be instances of young men taking over the family cremation business, and they cremated some people and then didn't. Mm-hmm. And one of the theories with with both of these young men is that they got that, like, Mad Hatter's disease. They got oh, mercury, mercury poisoning. poisoning mm-hmm. from inhaling it. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Isn't Whoa, that S-town just town flashbacks. Bizarre? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's... Wild, and that's even I don't know. So it takes a lot of heat to break down a body. We it takes know this. a lot of heat, uh, yep. much more than you would expect, even under ideal circumstances, mm-hmm. and even something as controlled as a crematorium rather than a house fire or something. Yeah, yeah. So I understand that there's a skill that goes into that, but I feel like the more crucial skill that I see not getting executed with cases like this is just being organized and like yeah. keeping track of your files and not sending people. The wrong ashes yeah. or not cremating people when you're supposed to or mixing it all up or yeah. not taping the box shut. Like, yeah. this is really a customer service detail-oriented kind of job. Uh, it's got to be. Got to. I yeah. would be great at it. I'm so customer service detail-oriented. I would remember to tape up every box, dude. <laughs> so, like we said, it's, it's, it's greener, but it's not without its faults. So, this fortunately, has a solution. There are, at least in the Pacific Northwest, three increasingly available green burial options that I want to share with you. Okay. The first one is called a green burial or a natural burial. Mm -hmm. And these are available at about 10 cemeteries in Washington State. And what's green or natural about them is that the bodies are not preserved. 
So there's no formaldehyde. There are no chemicals. There's nothing in the, nothing added to the bodies that would then Mm -hmm. go back into the environment. The bodies are wrapped in a biodegradable shroud, like unbleached cotton or bamboo fiber, or they can be put in a woven seagrass or wicker uh, casket. I mean, it's a basket, you know, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah, Um, a little basket. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, At most green burial sites, the family is allowed to help dig the grave. Wow. If they would like to be part of that. And then the bodies are buried about four feet down and allowed to naturally decompose in that environment. Wow. And... At some of these cemeteries, you can place a marker. They, it can be like a, um, a stone that's carved. You can plant a tree or a bush. And in one place in Washington State, your burial on this ground is actually helping to keep the environment native and wild. It's, uh, let's see, it's White Eagle is a certified conservation burial ground located near the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area. And because it has bodies on it, and because it only allows native planting, this is now a conservation area. It can never be developed. Oh, okay. So it works for the plants and the peoples. It works for the plants and the peoples. On on their website, they talk about how they have bear, they have elk, they have deer, they have rabbits, they have foxes. You have all kinds of, I mean, you're just out in the woods. You're just a bear has out. definitely dug somebody up. Pro- I wouldn't mind. I mean, if that's what it needs, you go feed your little bear babies. You, yeah, like you're gonna- that's the more metal thing to have happen than anything we've talked about so far. First of all, oh yeah. Also, I'm like, okay, you know what? Better than better than turning into soup in a can. I mean, I would rather that than soup in a can in somebody's, you know air raid shelter that they never actually enjoy. I mean, if you're going to eat that mm-hmm. soup, okay, go for it, you know? Yeah. But no, I I think that's... I, I'm dead. What do I care? It's mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I have feelings and thoughts about it right now, but at the time, when it comes down to it, it won't matter to me. So, And that's my rampant speculation, by the way. That's not me actually having insider information about this, just because I say things very confidently does not mean I know what I'm talking about. You're, you are much like my son, who yesterday told me that because the pyramids in South America, I think he said Thailand and in Egypt, are they're in a group across the map that resembles Orion's belt. And then at each of those three locations, the three pyramids are in groups that resemble Orion's belt. And that is proof of... Well, that people could, could see Orion's belt? Yeah, he couldn't really decide if it was aliens or if if it's a key to something or what. But it, it meant something. And me saying that, like, well, maybe that's just a shape that people were echoing in their sacred sites. That wasn't enough. But he said it very confidently, so... Yeah. This is like every discussion I have with Lydia, where yeah. she tries to get me to tell her what red and orange make, and I say, they make reddish-orange or orange-red. <laughs> She's, no, yellow. <laughs> and I'm like, I have a box of paint right here. Let's explore. No, I'm just wrong. I'm You're just wrong. wrong. You're just always wrong. I am I'm pretty tired of being always wrong in these just discussions Snow lately. Yep. Nothing. You know no, nothing. Nothing. Absolutely <sighs> nothing. No. 
the hell are we talking about? No, we're talking about being eaten Pyramids. by a bear. That's another old school oh, burial. Oh, there you go. There you go. Let's talk. <laughs> let's go way back. Nothing to do with Pacific Northwest, but we can talk about it. No. So the the one that I am super stoked on right away is the green burial, this natural burial mm-hmm. where you can just you go back to nature and um, it is a long very organic process. I mean, I guess it's not long. It's as long as it takes. Yeah. And it's not as natural as it would have been 150 years ago, because we still are decaying out with all our uh, fillings and our mercury that we've accumulated in our prescription medications. But I also think that you can fetishize natural at the expense of nature. So Totally. Sounds fine. Totally. It sounds fine to me. I don't know. That little mercury, we'll just pretend the bear had a lot of canned tuna (laughs) during hibernation. (laughs) The second two options are also considered quite natural because they they don't add anything to the the decomposition process, but they do speed it up. Mm. And the first one, the second option is called aquamation. It's also called water cremation, flameless cremation, or alkaline hydrosis. Hmm. But basically, it's the idea of cremation, which is taking a body and distilling it down into something very small, portable, and concentrated, but in this case, using liquid, not flame. Okay. What is the end product of this? What are you sent home with? It's kind of gross. You are sent home with, like, a Slurpee of the soft tissue and then the pulverized small bones that didn't get liquefied in the water potassium hydroxide mixture that your body is placed in. This is a step in the wrong direction. No, it's this great. This is people getting sent home with their canned soup. No, this has the worst of both no, worlds. Because no. cremation, you can't see the body, but at least it's dry. Yeah. And, like, you can put it on a mantle. And yeah. this is, like, one spill on the stairs into the house oh. away from you having to confront everything horrific <laughs> about a dead body and viscerally upsetting without any of the benefit of being able to see that face one more time. I'm again it. <laughs> and I don't mind saying so. You can be again it, Liz, but this to me is like a Devon Jamba Juice. It is like <laughs> oh I am God. distilled. Hey, one of those big boba straws. With a boba straw. <laughs> like, and the bones are my boost, you know? That's what's, wow. that's the matcha powder ingredient put on it. I am a Jumbo Jamba Juice for the garden. And I kind well, of like it. Okay. What do you do with it, though? Do you put it in the ground, or do you put it on the mantelpiece and wait for an earthquake to ruin everything? <laughs> like those, you know, have you ever seen photos of, like, he forgot to put the paint lid, yes. or the paint can lid <laughs> on the paint can, and then it's all over the inside of somebody's van? It's yeah, the idea. I don't know, this, oof. What you use this for is fertilizer. That's the okay. point, is it's being distilled it's not legal for humans right now in Washington state. So you're fine. I, I'm sorry. It is legal for humans right now in Washington state, but there's no facility for it right now. There's only okay. a facility in Seattle for pets. Okay. And what happens is the body is put in a tub that's got a mixture of 95% water, 5% 
potassium hydroxide, which reduces all the soft tissue and small bones into liquid. The remaining bones are dried out and pulverized, and these are given to the loved one with typically the idea that they're going to be used as fertilizer. The bones are the whole The conundrum. whole thing. The whole thing. Because I'm like, wait, are the bones separate and you sprinkle them on top? Because like... Well, I mean, it's... It's, they're the little marshmallows in the cocoa? They're the marshmallows in the cocoa. That's fucking foul, dude. They yeah. are. I don't know why I was okay with the Jamba Juice, but you take it to hot cocoa and I'm not cool with it. That's because they, the they do the, the same thing in cremation. The bones that don't burn, they pulverize and put in yeah. with the ashes. So they do this same thing. I can't tell if they mix them up for you, if it's like, you know. God, like a fucking lava lamp? Like a lava lamp. Like orbits? If it's, oh god, fuck, orbits <laughs> were so gross! They were foul! Sorry, oh. 20 to 30 oh. minutes ago, I started oh. full-on PTSD, no joke, having, like, decomp nasal flashbacks, and I'm not stopping until everybody's as miserable as I am. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't have to record this tonight. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, No, this is amazing. This is amazing. Yeah. So you take this little orbits, you know, trophy, (laughs) the the bowling trophy they put your orbits remains in, and it's it's (laughs) courts. Now let me finish. Courts have decided that the remains are governed by the same laws of flame-cremated remains, which means you can put them on any private land where you have permission from the owner, or they can go on public land. And like Mm -hmm. I said, the idea with pets and with humans is that you are using this likely for fertilizer, either in your garden or you take it out into the woods and you spread it around the base of a tree. Hmm. Okay. Cremated remains are often used the same way. People go put them in the garden or they dump them in the woods at a tree. Cremated remains have no nutritional value to the tree. And actually, apparently, they're so chalky and dense, they can kind of clog up membranes and roots and they can kill plants. Yeah, even I didn't so know that. compost bin, like, I don't throw, like, People? wood ash and stuff in. Uh, yeah, we can't, we couldn't compost a thing with that. The, but yeah, <laughs> like, if I've got leftover... I don't know, burned wood from taking yeah. down grape trellises or something. I don't dump it in there because it can be just way too alkaline yeah. for the for the chemicals and the bugs. Yeah. Your little bugs, the Your work little there. bugs. Yeah, Monty Don would say a good compost should be like 50% brown material for nitrogen and 50% green material for mm-hmm. carbon. Or maybe I have those backwards. But the point is, Monty Don never told me to put my Devon smoothie yeah. anywhere. Aquamation does, of course, use some resources, but it really only uses the same amount of water it would take to give your pet a bath. Or, for humans, about the amount of water the average American uses over three days. Okay, so it's not completely neutral, but it's not... It's it's a drop in the bucket. It's a it's a drop in the bucket. If you had lived three days longer, you would have consumed that much water. I could go for this option for a loved one if I then put the remains in the woods in in a park. If I had a ton of land, some land that wasn't right by the house, I would still be too sentimental or grasping of the the physical. I think to like. Mm-hmm. Be like, cool, I'm going to go fertilize my roses. 
I'm going to go put this on my vegetables. Yeah, and this might be a strange thing to jump to, but Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about gardening, and the best gardeners are very ruthless. Yeah. And you cannot be a good gardener if you just let everything grow and never, you know, cut anything back and never move something because it's a bed you put in the wrong place and it's not getting the right drainage. And I feel like all of a sudden... When you fertilize a garden bed with a yeah. loved one, now they're a part of that dirt. And so yeah. if you, for instance, decided you wanted to put a tree there instead and you move the garden bed, are you going to be really stressed out about that dirt? Yeah, I would I'm, be. I'm just kind of moving ahead to the anxieties this would cause me down the road. Because mm-hmm. that's just a safe way to move through life if you're me. Oh, yeah. just go, what, what's the pain in the ass that I have in it? <laughs> But all of a sudden, you're like, well, if it was a, a little box of ashes, I would have a plan and I'd put it on a bookshelf or a mantelpiece or something, or I would, I would process with that. But if it's mm-hmm. in dirt, like, how do if I decide the dirt is special, how do I decide how much of it is special? Right. And what if a dog poops on it? Or like, right. this, this could it becomes very uncontrolled. It's it's not controlled enough, or it's not uncontrolled enough for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, so it sounds like the aqua cremation the aquamation isn't maybe really your jam you've already said you're again it and Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. sounds like the idea of having these remains that then you probably are gonna only want to use for compost is not something that you want to deal with so yeah you're probably not gonna like the third option because the third option is literally called body composting Hmm. and that is exactly what it sounds like bodies are placed in a space that encourages their rapid decomposition into the sugars and the salts and the amino acids and the other chemicals and nutrients that make up bodies that also make up compost. And thanks to the same bill that made aqua cremation legal in Washington state, it made body composting an option starting May 1st, 2020. In Washington State, and here in Seattle specifically, we're going to have the first body composting facility open in 2021. Hmm. It's a place called Recompose. So, like, repose and... And decompose. Decompose and compost, and yes. It is an absolutely modernly beautiful facility. It's like this large dome it to me it looks like the inside of a golf ball if you cut a golf ball in half and then saw the inside it's like this big honeycomb structure and you know everything is white and windows and filled with light and there are giant trees growing inside of the space and in the honeycomb structure in the walls there's 52 pods in which they will place bodies so that they can compost 17 dystopian sci-fi movies have already filmed in that space. I think... This sounds so future evil. It looks future evil, but beautifully future evil and totally not evil. Because what you do is you make a cubic yard of nutrient-rich soil. You save one metric ton of carbon dioxide per burial And you take up no natural space in like a memorial park or cemetery by 
bringing your dead loved one to recompose and having their compost decomposition process sped up as your burial option. And then you get handed a bag of compost? You do if you choose to keep it. If you don't, what they do is they send that compost to a 70-acre area of previously mismanaged, formerly logged land in southern Washington, and they use the compost at this site to reforest this natural area. I'm just very salty tonight, apparently, but what I'm thinking about is that one ton of carbon dioxide and how much is going into, like, transporting those bags of compost and maintaining this facility Mm -hmm. and, and, and. It just sounds like a very high-tech thing to do instead of just putting a body under a tree. I see that. I see that. But again, still better than putting you in a can with chemicals. I think it's still better than putting you in a can with chemicals. I mean, it's and it's still expensive. You know, it's still mm-hmm. $5,500 a person. It's less than the average American funeral, but it's more than cremation. And it's, we don't know how much human aquamation is necessarily going to cost here in Washington, but it's a fairly affordable option for pets. It is absolutely not the most impact neutral way what am i trying to say it is not the least impactful on the environment option but if you want a very like white robes hippie Mm -hmm. i'm making great aunt mildred into some compost for our commune garden i think it's going to be a cool option i think so and i think i'm being very down on things because they're not right for me, but like so Mm -hmm. much in life of sex and death and marriage and relationships and family, like it's very personal. Yeah. So it's easy for me to be like, they don't need that. That's not as good as this other thing, but there may be other people where that's the important thing and Mm -hmm. that's appropriate for them. So Mm -hmm. right for them, not for me, Yeah. but I'm glad it's going to be out there and I'm glad there's people I don't know. It reminds me, this is a very strange comparison, but there was a while there where, so I have this weird thing where aspartame gives me headaches. Yeah. And so there was a long time there before Stevia and Splenda were popularly available where I would actually go to like health food stores and get little like dropper bottles of Stevia to sweeten coffee with I and stuff. I remember that. You go to Huckleberries. I go to Huckleberries. And suddenly somebody figured out how to like bind Stevia to powder or whatever and make it widely commercially available. Yeah. It was everywhere. And there was a moment there when I was like, I'm not sure this helped me. I'm not sure this was a step in the right direction because now, instead of this little glass bottle, I'm like tearing open a packet or opening yeah. this big plastic thing all the time. But you know what? Now I can find it everywhere. And that's yes. pretty cool. Yes. I don't know. I, f- I feel like often the perfect can be the enemy of the good when it comes to trying to find these natural solutions. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know what? If we make something that's less bad than what we've been doing, and people want something that's even better, they're not going to get something that's even better sometimes unless that intermediate step has been allowed to thrive a little bit. Absolutely. I do think it has to be a process. I do think there has Mm -hmm. to be some gradual progress made toward perfection, you know, and you're just, you're good enough and you're good enough and you're good enough 
enough times that, you know, maybe maybe it's that, like, you can never get from zero to one because you're always having the distance. Yes. <laughs> you know? But at least you're getting closer and closer each time. Zeno's paradox, baby. All right. Mia Moore. If I was... In possession of a body yes. that had recently passed. Say I'm at my house, my my old, old house, which presumably people have died in at some point. Could I, in the year 2020, in Spokane, Washington, or in Washington State, go dig a hole in the backyard and put them in it? Assuming that all paperwork had been handled with everybody who had to be there for a death certificate and all the various paperwork of existence. The answer is, I'm not sure. I Mm. don't know what city laws apply in Spokane to make... I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Um, It's not urgent, but... (laughs) Caitlin has a section on, or uh, Caitlin has an episode on home burials and where you can do it and why you can do it. And so I would suggest everyone go watch that Mm. for the first time with me because I haven't watched it yet. Okay. What the legal encyclopedia at notlo.com tells me is that in Washington, bodies must be buried in established cemeteries and they have to be run by like incorporated corporations. You can only bury a body on private property if you meet all of the licensing requirements to establish a cemetery. So if I jump through all the hoops, which I am zoned for like mixed use commercial. So we could, <laughs> we could get this going. Uh, but like, okay. if I did that, it's kind of like, well, yeah, you can also sell ice cream from your house if you become an ice cream shop. If you become an ice cream parlor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Liz, you can bury bodies at your house if you become a cemetery instead of a house. You can be both. A thing can be two things. A thing can be two things, Liz. A thing can be two things. That's the best option, honestly, is just like chill in a backyard and chickens walk over you all day. Are you kidding? Oh, man. Forget about it. You would be so happy. It's what they do now. Chickens walk all over you all the time. It's just metaphorically. All right. Now, in Oregon, it's slightly different. Okay. You have to file the death certificate, but... You can place bodies on private property if you, basically, it becomes a cemetery, if you say, hey, I own this, Okay. I have written consent from the county or the city, and I promise that if you want records of these burials, I'll keep them, I'll tell you who's there, and if I sell the property, I'll tell them. That's what they want. And I'm like, that's abundantly fair. That's People all just kind of want to know if, if you're supposed to, like, do, do we, yeah. did we know that you had a body in your backyard? Yeah, I get <laughs> did that. Did you tell us about that or is it a little surprise? Yeah, I can see that. Like, if you have a police investigation 50 years down mm-hmm. the road, like, they mm-hmm. probably should have record. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's supposed to be there. The second one, we don't know shit about that. Yeah, because can you imagine the alternative if you could, like, murder someone, put them in your backyard, and if you got them a headstone, you could just be like, yeah, they're supposed to be there. Yeah, they're supposed to be there. Are you kidding me? That's, yeah, that's my cousin. My second cousin once removed. In Alaska, you can basically do whatever as long as you're outside of a big city. That applies for everything. Yeah, in Alaska, you can do whatever you want. Full stop. Big city, small city. Yeah, you just kind of slap them on the butt and they get up and walk out mm-hmm. and, and go into the void. Yeah, I'm sorry. Alaska lets you drink out of whiskey bottles that have had dead toes in them. 
they actively have dead toes. Actively have dead toes. Yeah, this is. Although we do have the cremation of Sam McGee. This is a, a oh. counterfactual to what we're discussing here, but I'm going to do one more because I want to know about Idaho. Tell me about Actually, Idaho. I kind of want to know about Vancouver, too. I'm curious about I'm just Montana. Googling, can I bury a body in my backyard, Anne? Wow. Yeah, I hope you're doing this from your work. Com- you're doing this from your doing husband's from Matt's computer. <laughs> Zillow search in these states. <laughs> Spokane's out, huh? Oh, shoot, so, babe. Yeah, Montana, no state concerns with it. Individual, like, city jurisdictions may have an issue. I can see that being true in Montana. Uh, Big sky country, yeah. more like big die country. Ooh. And Idaho says if you have a death certificate, you can bury somebody in the backyard. Go for broke. Wow! Idaho! <laughs> Still the Wild West there's, out here, folks. There's a lot of people who are very do-it-yourself in Idaho. They are. From, you know, having the baby at home, getting married at home. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Idaho's your one-stop death shop. They'll even kill you. In British Columbia, it's illegal to bury a human body anywhere but in a designated cemetery. Wow. Canada. So it's the same as us. You have uh, to actually go through all the hoops. Shit. But, I mean, you've been a notary. I am. I can be yeah. one again. It's so easy, you guys. It's so easy. You just have to have an insurance agency say that they'll bond you up for ten thousand dollars, up to ten thousand dollars of uh, of uh, whatever. They'll bond you up, Devin. I don't. Yeah, this real is good. this is real good. I'm going to notarize <laughs> okay, this. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> like a good neighbor, Liz. <laughs> so. Uh, it's really easy to be a notary, folks. And then you can notarize everything. I believe back when I was married to Aaron, I wrote out Aaron is a butt and then notarized that statement. Here's another important thing is you can buy one of those stampy stamps. Mm-hmm. Those like, are... just because. Yeah, you can. You don't have to be a notary. My mom has one and it's really fun to play with. It is. They're so yeah, satisfying. I, I want one. It'd make your, every letter you you wrote would look so cool. God, wouldn't it look great? Yep. <sighs> okay, so we have our three options, it sounds like. We have our three options. Is, you don't go home with a body at all. Of, of the green ones. Of you the green ones. You don't go home up. with a body at all. It goes to live in a park or whatever. Yep. Well, not live, but, you know, it goes to be in a park. <laughs> uh, I mean, some things are living. I mean, yeah. depends on, yeah, I'd say it's yeah. living. It's just a different, yeah. just a different form. Just a different stage of life, man. Oh, yeah. Rest in peace, Ramdas. But the uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. I can't take him Get seriously. Off my case. I can't take him seriously as a, and it's not his fault. But his name is Rammed Ass. Like that's, I know. That's, For ten years, you've been you've been shocked and appalled. I am. Yep. Okay, the second one, you get a bucket. Yep. And the third one, you get a bag of compost. Yep. And I think what's unsatisfactory for me, and again, not for everybody, specifically for me about the second and third ones, is that there's this diffusion of what constitutes the body and who's in charge of it. Okay. And I think that just worries me. I'm like, either keep the whole thing (laughs) <laughs> you know, just bury it and be like, what goes, goes. Mm-hmm. Or 
contain it. But I think that, I don't know. I feel like when I envision cremated ashes being scattered, I picture like the wind taking them, right? Yeah. You don't just like dump them in a pile in the ground like you're done with the barbecue. Yeah. Oh, no, you go all colors of the wind with that shit. Yeah, absolutely. You're in a color run, and the only color is gray. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It's what a dog sees at at Diwali. Yeah. You know? But you get that moment of, I have you, and now I don't have you. Yeah. And I feel like, for me, having the liquid or having the compost would make it harder to know that that point had come. Okay. 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 And it's the same point of, like, you start putting dirt on the coffin or whatever, yeah. or you get the ashes back. You're like, okay, this day, from this day forward, their body isn't in the world with me anymore. Or it is, but I can't access it. Mm-hmm. And this is just kind of in a, a liminal space that's not my favorite, but again, fine for other folks, mm-hmm. just not my scene. Mm-hmm. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm... I'm... <sighs> the closer the person is to to me, like, not physically, but I mean, like, husband, kid, parents, brother, I don't want to be responsible for those in my garden either. Mm -hmm. Um, Unless it's like, this is my, you know, this is my cabin in the woods, my last stand, I will die here myself. Like, I'm never going to sell it. I'm never going to leave this place. But when it, when people are more and more removed from me, then I'm a little... More like, oh, okay, well, like that, you know, we could spread that around the garden and I'm just going to be happy that they enriched the earth here. Well, you're highlighting that there's a lot of competing goals for body disposal, right? Which is you've got medical, you've got social, you've got emotional, you've got legal, in some cases you've got criminal. Uh, You've got a lot of different objectives to fulfill. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's where if I don't have an emotional goal as pertains to the remains, I'm more inclined to be like, sure, compost, whatever, that's fine. Yeah. Whereas if I have an emotional journey that I'm going to need to do, then I don't want them to get whisked away and sort of, I don't want it dragged out. I'm like, just rip the bandaid off. Like their body's not here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think I like the idea of the natural burial where there's no preservatives, you're in a shroud or, you know, a, mm-hmm. a big basket, and I get to help dig the grave, and then you're put there and you're you're there. So, like, there's always a space for my brain to go back to and be like, okay, this spot, this forest, mm-hmm. I had this ritual, and I can go back if I want to by the Columbia River and and walk in those woods, you know? I want my basket to be full of Easter grass. Liz, that is not biodegradable. <laughs> Everybody's going to go home with pieces of it stuck oh to them. God. They're going to be finding it for the next 20 years. That's your curse. And that's going to be my curse and my haunting. Good Easter lord, grass. you're evil. Yeah. Evil. That's Easter tinsel and I won't have it. I'm not going to come to your funeral if you do that. Haunt your ass either way. So. <laughs> I hope so. Bye. I hope so. <laughs> Fuck, dude. So that was heavy because we're talking about the very real reality of death. Like, hey, that's kind of a hundred percent batting average right there. We're we're all gonna be exposed to it. Um, oh yeah, we know it's crooked, but it's the only game in town. It's the only game in town, man. But I do appreciate knowing that we have some less environmentally impactful and for me more meaningful burial options because I do really 
like the idea of my remains, certainly, and the loved ones whose remains I will be in charge of going back into the earth in a usable manner. I really like the idea of people just having more options. Yeah. Because yeah. I think there's a reassurance that you can get when there's only one way of doing stuff. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I don't have to try to figure this out. But I see people struggle with this when mm-hmm. we lose funeral traditions what we end up with are funeral decisions yeah and often that's not a place where you're really prepared to make decisions Mm -mm. Mm -mm. nope that is everybody i think everybody who has to plan a funeral something incredibly stressful like that needs a best friend because i know that if i had to plan a funeral god forbid for someone really close to me if i took you with me you would be the one who's like i'm sorry you're paying you're charging her how much for a satin Mm -hmm. casket lining excuse you step off a minute me and my girl are gonna go get five guys uh Mm -hmm. the burgers not like actual five literal (laughs) men (laughs) and we're gonna come kick your ass and we're gonna come kick your ass <laughs> they're gonna carry us in with a satin casket like for Cleopatra. Yes, of they're course. They're gonna jump out and backhand you. <laughs> Hold still. Yes. <laughs> well, I would recommend that anyone who is interested in this topic to I think you know, it's like fifteen years old now, but I would go read Stiff by Mary Roach. Mm-hmm. I would check out Ask a Mortician, Caitlin Doughty. I would check out her consortium, her website, which is called The Order for the Good Death. And you can become a member. I have become a member. And there's just, you know, six or seven things that you say that you are going to aspire toward, which is, you know, kind of confronting the fact that we'll all die and demystifying the funeral process and recognizing that you have options and striving to be as green as you feel you are able to be in your your death. Yeah. Although completely not what I associate with... The concept of a good death. Mm -hmm. A good death and a quality of death, I see so much from the healthcare perspective. Because we're very, very bad at that. But it comes from the same limitations, I think, in some ways. Mm -hmm. And the same cultural taboos and the same fears. And what's consistent on both sides of the actual event itself, which I could talk for an hour about how when somebody is dead can be very, very hard to determine. Yes. Uh, (laughs) That's a tricky one. (laughs) But with um, both sides of that, you know, as you're dying and then right after you die, I think there's a professionalization and a fetishization of technology that in some ways can really impair the necessary journey that we are going to go on. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking here as well about like, some of the most expensive days in a person's life are right before they die. Yeah. And often it's not just an expense thing in terms of like, oh no, the healthcare system. Like, fuck the healthcare system. It's fine. Like, so much money anyway. It's hard to care at that time, but right. it's more expense for the family. It's emotional trauma yeah. to be like, hey, we almost lost her. You all rushed to the hospital. And now, you know, we've done this $20,000 thing. And don't worry, she's on a bunch of machines now. Yeah. 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 Cool. Another 18 hours. Mm -hmm. I guess I'll go get a sandwich that costs $8. (laughs) Like, that's not doing anybody any favors. No. And 
it's not it's not respectful to the family it's not respectful to the individual it's not respectful to the doctors mm-hmm. to make them try to accomplish something that is impossible we really do seem to think that we're going to defeat death one of these days we, <laughs> we really act as though we are and that's uh, yeah and then we stop thinking about quality of life yeah it's like what is oh i saw so my recommendation is that people watch atul gawande's being mortal which okay. is heart-wrenching but very good i think it's usually on pbs you can probably find it there his book about the subject is very good and he talks about sort of the doctors aren't taught to deal with this healthcare providers in general aren't taught to deal with this it's not a very good system even if you're somebody who works with you know cancers with no survival rate or something like you will you will come up with an approach for it yeah but you're not supported in that and you need to be so there's a woman who they film in the documentary and she's talking about you know well maybe after this thing i can go to disney with my grandson and it's like a abundantly clear on every level this woman is never leaving this hospital oh, god like disney's not happening she needs to know that. Yeah. And it's yeah. going to hurt. And it's going to be sad for her. Yeah. But she needs to know, you're not leaving. This isn't right. happening. So if you want to spend time with your grandson, let's think of what we can do within the parameters of what you can do. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of how there's a lot of pressure on people who use wheelchairs to stand up for important events. Oh, and if God. that's what they want to do, then do it. Like, if that's your jam, then that's your jam. Yeah. I'm obviously not here to tell you what to do. But I think sometimes we say that living as long and as able-bodied a life as possible is more important than you being comfortable mm-hmm. or pain-free or happy. And mm-hmm. that comes out a lot when it comes to the end of life, right? Because, like, I'll – I don't know. People will choose to go through chemo to get more time. Yeah. You would not put somebody through chemo to buy them a week. No. Like, why – and it's going to be a shitty week. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. It's it's rough. Anyway, I have a lot of opinions about this, and I really like talking about death because I think it's so taboo and it's something we will make a lot of jokes about. But I think that I I don't even know who I can attribute this to because I don't think it was explicitly my parents. But at some point, I picked up the concept of almost that like talking about misfortune would summon it. (laughs) Like if you talked about death. Death would, like, hear you and yeah. be, like, heard your talking shit yeah. and, yeah. like, run yeah. up on you, you and know, take somebody. You know exactly where you and I picked that up from. Amy Tam. We are the, oh, shit. We are the mother in the Joy Luck Club, one of four, who is like, I can't talk about anything bad ever because if I talk about it, I summon it. Yeah, yeah. It's like mm-hmm. the, it's some kind of horrible reverse the secret. Yes. Where yeah. you're like, I'm going to cause misfortune. And it's like, wow, somebody's pretty full of themselves. Yeah. You think you control the universe. Yeah. And also you think you're so special that if you didn't do something to cause this to happen, you never would have experienced you, misfortune. Right? Wow. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy, howdy. So- yeah. The fuck? <laughs> Death isn't a skinwalker. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Slender Man. It's not Slender Man. <laughs> Oh, thank you for bringing this. This is a very interesting topic. It's fun to do these contemporary ones sometimes. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing to me how how weird our our Pacific Northwest is. Weird meaning unusual, unconventional, unexpected. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not just in history, but in in every day going forward, man. Oh yeah, it stays weird. It It stays weird entirely. 
Yep. Friends, if you want to continue this conversation, of course, we welcome you on our social media channels. The most yakking happens on Facebook, but you can join us on Twitter and Instagram as well. We are on Patreon.com. If you want to throw us a couple of bones and make sure that this little podcast keeps on rolling, that our website stays up. Speaking of, WeJabrods.com is where you go for show notes, for extras, for Liz's wonderful guides to the Pacific North Weird. I'll take a breath and you can tell me what I'm missing there, friend. Not a thing. You're perfect. That is what my mama tells me. So I believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness, friends. Well, my perfect co-host and I, of course, hope that you perfect darlings listening out there help us in our mission to live weird. Die weird. And stay weird. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. We are death.